I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. So, I am officially a second-class citizen in the province as of midnight this morning. An Undermensch. That was our German word of the day a few weeks ago. Undermensch. That's what the Nazis called non-Aryans back in the 1930s. They actually invented the word. Uh, Maybe some of you uh, are feeling the same way as well today. All of the businesses who are bending the knee on this and taking part in this medical segregation, remember, remember, you are in effect punishing the very people who fought for your right to stay open. Think about that. That's a horrible position to be in. And you are rewarding, in many cases, the very same people who wanted you kept locked down. I say in many cases, because to be clear, there are, there are people who are vaccinated who are also against lockdowns. And, and let's be honest, this is not about preventing the spread of COVID. How many times do we have to say, say this? The vaccinated can spread COVID. The vaccinated can be infected with COVID by another vaccinated person. This is about instituting a system of rewards and punishments. The people who took the government and public health officials at their word that things would get back to normal once they took the jab were duped, lied to, tricked, victims of a cruel, practical joke. So in order to appease them, those that dutifully took the vax, in order to appease them, they have to reward them. And in order to keep them on side and in line for the next time, they have to give them something. So the reward 
is access to bars and restaurants and gyms and concerts. But in order to reward them, someone else needs to be excluded. Another group, the unvaccinated. That's all this is. Reward and punishment. There is no epidemiological reason for vax passports. None. Dr. Teresa Tam even admitted this. She admitted this is about coercion. Remember a couple of weeks ago, she was asked by a reporter whether the vaccine mandates and vax passports will increase vaccine uptake. In other words, if we punish the unvaccinated, is there any data to suggest that they will then comply? And Tam said there was no data to, su- to support that. There, that's it. She admitted it out loud. So why all this posturing? Why are we, or they rather, why are they still pretending this is about our health? It's a lie. And to quote the late Soviet dissident, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, we know they're lying. They know we know they're lying. We know they know we know they're lying. And yet still they're lying. Uh, last night, the uh, mighty Aphrodite and I, a rare night out, probably our last for some time, we attended an event uh, out in Whitby at uh, the Canada Christian College and um, co-hosted by college president, Dr. Charles McVitie, and uh, also Ezra Levant of Rebel News. It was called Protecting Our Civil Liberties, an evening with Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson joined the event live via Zoom from his home in Maine. And uh, Carlson received a hero's welcome and fielded questions on the uh, vaccine mandate and vaccine passports, which came into effect in Ontario a few short hours after the event wrapped up. And I'll get into the event in more detail with uh, Lou, probably uh, during our news, not in the news section in hour two. But um, towards the end of the evening, Carlson was asked by Levant and McVitie how Canadians should respond to this country's rapid descent into authoritarianism. And Carlson said, it's time for civil disobedience. Non-violent. Let's be very clear. He was very clear on this. Non-violent civil disobedience. At some point, he said, the, the unvaccinated and the vaccinated that are opposed to human rights abuses in this country have to stand up and get loud. So if people are being excluded from getting on a bus, and that may come, it's not happening now, but it may come as they continue to ratchet up this coercion. People have to stand by the hundreds in front of the buses and block them. Civil disobedience. And I agree. I will not comply. I will not give my money to any business from this day forward which participates in this ugly, unnecessary, vile and appalling vax passport regime. And when our radical left-wing premier says it's temporary, seriously, you expect people to believe that? 
He's lying. We know he's lying. He knows we know he's lying. We know he knows we know he's lying. And yet still, he lies. So this will not end until the citizens in this country, at least those who still believe in human rights, stand up and get loud. A little bit later uh, this hour, actually shortly, I'm going to uh, replay a conversation I had several weeks ago with two members of an expanding group of Canadian scholars who've written several open letters, three, in fact, uh, addressing, well, the first one addressed the unvaccinated, then the vaccinated, and finally public health officials. And these uh, open letters were published on the website of the Ontario Civil Liberties Association. And uh, in each of these letters, the writers are exposing the the divisiveness of vaccination status and uh, denouncing the uh, the resulting rift in our society. Dr. Klaus Rinner and Angela Durante, PhD, will uh, discuss their letter to the vaccinated here shortly. Uh, Wednesday, we push back against global warming hysteria. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com, will be here. A major volcanic eruption in Alaska uh, began two days ago. Did you hear about this? And um, spewing, you know, ash and smoke into the air. And uh, a little earlier, was it last week as well, On the, a, a volcano erupted on the Spanish Canary Island of La Palma. And it got me to thinking with all of the ash and the smoke propelled thousands of feet up into the atmosphere, what effect do these volcanoes have on climate change? Do they contribute to CO2 emissions in a significant way? And if so, how much? And if it's a lot, does a major eruption essentially undo any mandated CO2 emission reductions? In other words, why shut down an entire sector of the economy and allow people to freeze in the dark from energy poverty if a couple of these major volcanic eruptions undo all of that? We'll discuss with uh, Tony Heller. And a Will Witt is a young conservative influencer, speaker, filmmaker. He's the host of Will Witt Live on PragerU. He's been involved in, uh, uh, well, he's been on uh, Blaze and um, uh, Turning Point USA, which is an organization that kind of spreads conservative values on college campuses. He's become a real cultural phenomenon for the conservative set. My twin boys are huge fans. And uh, he's our feature guest coming up at the bottom of the second hour, 5.30 p.m. He's just released his first book. I think it's his first book, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. Hey, Lou, you're always taking on liberal arguments with logic and humor. You should write a book. Yeah, uh, I've I've thought about it, but I really don't have the patience for that kind of work. I'm more (laughs) like, you know, doing this kind of work. Talking with you, going back and forth and, you know, thinking about what you have to say while informing myself and maybe, you know, hopefully informing you and uh, your listeners with regards to my thoughts on various subjects. You know, when you talk about uh, these vaccine passports to be used in, I think they're calling it non-essential. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. 
The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, services, gyms, restaurants, and so on. Now, so the question I'm asking is what is essential? So if I want to go to, say, the Value Village, is that essential or are they closed? No, I believe you'll have access. Without. Oh, so it's essential for me to go and rummage through other people's stuff. Okay. Um, the other question I ask is that mandate, <laughs> is that mandate uh, provincial or federal? This is provincial. Oh, okay. Well, let me explain to you why I think it's a provincial um, statute. I okay. think it's because um, they're not getting the kind of revenue they wanted from the marijuana store. So if you've got people who are being excluded from those kind of activities, going to the uh, local restaurant, bar, uh, and so on, gymnasium, Maybe they'll find their way into the Ontario marijuana store or what do they call a cannabis store? Right. Right. And, you know, be part of that whole zone, you know, isolated and inoculated uh, and uh, indoctrinated and uh, totally zonked. What do you think? You think it's the try? I, I think it's, you know, an effort to market a product that they have no idea how to market, you know, because the sales suck. And, you know, if you just say to a whole bunch of people, you can't go out and do anything, they may as well take a trip without leaving the farm. Right. Hey, and uh, and keep them even more compliant uh, in uh, in the balance. We'll discuss uh, again in the second hour, Lou. You may you may be onto something. Well, you never know. And of course, commitment to traffic on the fives. I bow down before Brandon DuPont. OK, actually, I think Jake is doing the uh, oh doing the track today. Did did Brandon escape? <laughs> he got over the wall. Send help, Brandon. Send help. <laughs> All right. We'll uh, we'll discuss uh, this letter to the vaccinated uh, with two academics uh, and their open letter published on the Ontario Civil Liberties Association website. Back with uh, my conversation with Dr. Klaus Rinner and Angela Durante after these. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. So again, yesterday, the Toronto Sun uh, published an op-ed uh, piece written by a group, of act- a group of academics who write public health officers and political decision makers continue to misrepresent the limited scientific knowledge about the vaccines Uh, here to discuss this op-ed piece. Two of the authors, Dr. Klaus Rinner, a professor of geographic analysis at Ryerson University and Dr. Angela Durante, a PhD in philosophy and history. Welcome to you both. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you, Angela. And welcome to you as well. Hi, Richard. Thank you. I'm here. Terrific. First of all, I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised that the Toronto Sun would actually uh, publish this op-ed piece. Were you were you surprised? 
Um, the sun actually stands out among the mainstream media, if you can call them that, as the one. Um, maybe your show is another one, another example, but among the newspapers as the one that allows some debate, in my view. So um, that's certainly noticeable. Um, our group, or part of our group, has another opinion piece um, that was published a couple of months ago, I believe. It was about finally starting to apply the scientific method in the sense of exploring different um, avenues and options rather than focusing on the one correct science that might not be uh, quite as correct. So, yeah, um, kudos to the sun, really. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I pointed that out earlier that I, I tip my, my cap to them because I think, you know, they are one of the few uh, True North, Rebel News, some others that are actually... Uh, willing to talk about this. And that's what science is supposed to be about, right? Rigorous debate. Uh, and there seems to be an absolute lack of that happening right now. Now, uh, just, in, you know, there may be people listening saying, well, uh, Dr. Rinner, you're, you're a professor of geographic analysis. And Dr. Durante, you have a PhD in philosophy and history. You're not uh, virologists. You're not, uh, you know, you don't have degrees in pharmacology or microbiology. Why should we pay attention to you? Angela, do you want to field that one? Yeah, of course. I think with a historical uh, mind frame, we can definitely observe patterns that are playing out that we have seen before. And if we know our history, then we know that what's happening right now, you know, as human people, we have been here before and we need to uh, we need to accept that and we need to drop out of the hubris of our you know our current time you know through which we say well you know we're modern people and with technology um you know we're different now and we could never have the wool pulled over our eyes these days and uh, i would venture to say that we need to look at this more historically because that's where we're going to see the patterns that perhaps should alarm us Right. And I should also point out your two of I believe there are eight authors in total multidisciplines here. We have, uh, for example, uh, Donald G. Welsh, Ph.D. in physiology and pharmacology, uh, who contributed to this article. Uh, Jean-Marc Benoit, M.D., family and emergency medicine. Uh, there is a statistician um, included as well. And uh, Maximilian Forte, a PhD with sociology and anthropology. So uh, eight different authors, multidisciplinarian uh, perspective uh, on this. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Richard, that's, that's actually a little bit how this group even came together. Um, uh, we've been, uh, you know, somewhat of a group for a few months now. And um, I was interested in talking with non-medical uh, academics who are critical of the situation because um, this is going far beyond the public health crisis. This has been argued by um, others, such as um, Dave Redman, the emergency, former emergency manager in Alberta, that um, this is a public crisis, not a public health crisis. So we do hear a lot. I hear a lot about why would a geographer uh, have something to say here um, when everybody else agrees with it. But the truth is that the doctors and immunologists, virologists, epidemiologists also don't all agree. Right. But um, the particular strengths of our group that I see in our group is that we're actually coming from those other fields and looking at things uh, in yet another way. 
Uh, we're going to head into a break here in about two minutes. And I, and when we come back, I want to get into, you know, more in depth and in, 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 into the, uh, the op-ed piece that was published in yesterday's Toronto sun. But let me ask you, uh, you know, I've been I've been on on the air now for six months on this radio station talking about this. I've had Dr. Hodkinson on and Dr. Peter McCullough and uh, Dr. Ryan Cole and Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. And we talk and we talk and we talk and we see these cracks that appear to be forming in this whole narrative. And yet here we are on the cusp in Ontario, perhaps one or two weeks away from a vaccine passport. Uh, we're hearing rumblings from journalists in Quebec, uh, kids returning back to school, children as young as five wearing masks. The CEO of Pfizer admitting, you know, the efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine diminishes after six months. We're seeing outbreak cases in, in Israel. Nothing seems to be getting through to these people. What are you hearing? Is, is there any hope at this point that we're going to turn this around? Oh, on the ground, I think this is sounds like a very different story, right? If you're just watching what's going on in the media, you're going to get a particular perspective on what's happening. And you're going to think that it's unified. But on the ground, there are parents, there are teachers, there are federal employees, there are police officers. There are all kinds of people who are saying, I'm not having any of this. You know, and we're not hearing from those folks. Those folks are being silenced. And even if you try to present, if they try to present their perspective on social media, they even get silenced by their peers who are also on board with what we're hearing from the media. So parroting the narrative does not necessarily mean that it's the only idea that is playing out in our country right now. That's by no means true. There are groups forming everywhere who are ready to say no. And September is going to be a watershed moment for that. I hope so. I really hope so. Uh, stay uh, stay with us, both of you, Dr. Klaus Rinner and Dr. Angela Durante, back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. Yesterday, the Toronto Sun published an opinion piece authored by eight academics titled, No, COVID-19 Vaccine Passports and Mandatory Vaccination Do Not Protect the Health and Safety of Canadians. And uh, let me just crib here from the uh, from the piece. New Democratic Party leader Jagmeet Singh was quoted last week with a suggestion that public servants who refused the COVID-19 vaccine um, could be disciplined and ultimately fired using existing collective agreement clauses. The leader of Canada's most labor-friendly party recommends these worker dismissals in order to, quote, protect the health and safety of Canadians, end quote. This logic is so blatantly flawed that it calls Singh's leadership and that of other Canadian politicians supporting this view into question. Dr. Klaus Rinner, Professor of Geographic Analysis at Ryerson University, Dr. Angela Durante, PhD in Philosophy and History, part of this uh, group of eight academics, uh, stay with us. Um, I want to get into, I want you to help me and my listeners understand, because this is what you, uh, you write about in this piece, what we what we learned from the vaccine clinical trials and what we did not learn, because I think here this is key to understanding this can uh, either Angela or, or Klaus, if you want to feel that, what did we learn and what did we not learn from these clinical trials? 
Yeah. Um, before I address that, I'll just mention that this first part that you read wasn't originally included. We were going to talk about what you were asking about. Um, what do we know about uh, particularly what vaccines do or don't do for transmission of the virus? Um, it's just then that the, the quote from uh, Mr. Singh came into the media, essentially advising how to best fire workers, which I found really upsetting being inclined towards um, more the progressive uh, politically. Um, so, yeah, we were going to write about this faulty logic um, that has been adopted by politicians and also, unfortunately, many union leaders and many in the media. Um, they overinterpret, from what I can uh, say, the results of the uh, manufacturers, Pfizer and Moderna and so on, uh, vaccine trials. They had what they call an endpoint, um, which is they looked at how many people got a positive test and COVID symptoms, and they uh, the goal was to reduce that outcome. So it's symptomatic COVID. And uh, in the process, they also found that there might be a positive impact on reducing hospitalizations and uh, deaths. I'm not sure whether that's um, proven or just a, a trend. But so what they never looked at because they couldn't um, was uh, whether the vaccines reduce transmission. And um, it's becoming obvious that there's huge questions about that. You, you all know that. Um, there is more and more cases in countries that have been highly vaccinated early on, like Israel and so on. So that's right. That's Gibraltar, Gibraltar, 100 percent vaccination rate. There's now a travel advisory, uh, you know, going to Gibraltar. Stay away from Gibraltar. They're all vaccinated. Um, so, again, just to just to uh, kind of summarize here and I'll again crib from the uh, the op ed piece, uh, the the trials did not check for a reduction in cases as measured by positive SARS-CoV-2 tests without symptoms, nor in COVID-19 hospitalizations or deaths. They also did not attempt to understand the impact of the vaccines on transmission. And yet, uh, Angela and, and Klaus, we were told right from the beginning, the, you know, that meme that went out there, help stop the spread, help stop the spread. Well, what we're hearing now is they, they, they had no idea going in. They didn't check to see if vaccines would would, would help stop the spread. Yeah, I think they, they couldn't. Um, time was too short. There was actually not enough COVID happening in the community when those trials ran last summer. Last summer. Remember, it was the summer, so there was less of the disease. Um, key, though, is like on that basis, how can you ask for mandates or um, for vaccine passports? Because really, um, we shouldn't care. Well, there's no logic behind asking someone else, are you vaccinated or not? If you believe in the uh, beneficial effect of the vaccine and you chose to get it, you might be protected um, yourself. Um, but nobody is uh, putting you more in danger um, in my view, uh, whether whatever the health uh, status or medical uh, treatment status is. You're right. You're right. That's private information, right? The rationale for a vaccine passport completely dissolves when now that we know that your the viral load, you know, in the nasal passages of someone who has been doubly vaccinated is maybe even several times greater than in someone who is unvaccinated. So, again, there is no 
logic behind a vaccine passport. We'll take one final time out uh, and continue our conversation with Dr. Klaus Rinner and Dr. Angela Durante back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. You're listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Before we get back to uh, my conversation with Dr. Klaus Rinner and Angela Durante, let me just remind you that for months, I've been telling you about the wonderful health products from my good pals at North American Herb and Spice. And I've been telling you and everybody I know about how to get maximum immune support from P73 Wild Oregano. P73, whether you prefer the drops or the gel caps, powder, or even inhalants, North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P73 Wild Oregano is available at fine health food stores across the GTA. Or, of course, you can order online at oregano.com. Visit the website, oregano.com, and sign up for the North American Herb and Spice newsletter. And then you receive 5% off when you order online. P73 Wild Oregano for a healthy immune system from North American Herb and Spice. The website, once again, oregano.com. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. 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 Oregano.com. All right, welcome back. Again, yesterday, the Toronto Sun published an opinion piece authored by eight academics titled, No, COVID-19 Vaccine Passports and Mandatory Vaccination Do Not Protect the Health and Safety of Canadians. Klaus Rinner, Professor of Geographic Analysis at Ryerson, and uh, Angela Durante, PhD in Philosophy and History, part of that group of academics. Uh, they stay with us for a few moments yet. Uh, Angela, I wanted to ask you about the, the, the immunity, the natural immunity that is conferred upon someone who has had COVID and um, um, obviously recovered from COVID. And I think to date, something that would be something like half a million Ontarians, um, there doesn't seem to be any allowance. Again, this faulty logic, you know, we're being told that they have a, their, their uh, immune response is pretty robust. Um, and yet no allowance for those people, either Klaus or, or Angela can address this, um, no allowance for these for the for these people under this you know vaccine passport scheme. What are your thoughts, Klaus? Did you want to answer that? Um, I can briefly answer. Um, so I don't know the numbers, and I don't know whether anybody knows um, those numbers. Um, but yeah, we briefly wrote about this. Uh, this was uh, partially based on my experience from my home country, Germany, where um, the status of recovered is one of the three options tested negatively recovered or vaccinated is another three options for certain participation in public life, like being allowed to participate in your life. So yeah, we think that's an important component that seems to be completely forgotten in, can- in Canada. Um, and we're not accounting we're not accounting for a lot of things right we're not accounting for alternative therapies we're not accounting for people's medical reasons for not wanting to accept this medical treatment we're not accounting for um, you know religious reasons why people don't want to accept this treatment we're not accounting for a lot of things and um, that's what we're starting to see on the ground we're starting to see people who are saying wait a minute there's got to be adjustment there's got to be space left for those of us who simply are not going to stand in line Right. And again, as you point out in this opinion piece, 
Uh, the premier has extended an exemption to his MPPs. He threatened to fire uh, any of them or kick them out of caucus if they didn't receive the jab by a certain date. Uh, and uh, and then it, within that, I guess, guidance or whatever you want to call it, uh, they extended an exemption for any of their MPPs who had prior uh, you know, symptoms or had recovered from COVID and therefore have natural immunity, but that's not being extended to the rest of Ontarians. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, now that the Pfizer vaccine has received FDA approval behind closed doors, uh, still, you know, two years left in its clinical trials, uh, which is kind of um, unusual, but now uh, many people are using that FDA approval as sort of the final nail in the coffin for the anti-vaxxers, as if that was, you know, the be all and the end all of their vaccine hesitancy. Uh, do either of you want to comment on that? I think the idea of fully vaccinated is quickly becoming a misnomer in this country and around the world, because if we're going to have to accept the idea of boosters coming, um, then no one is really ever fully vaccinated unless they are fully up to date. And that's why we need to start thinking about these vaccine passports as a potential gatekeeper for all Canadians, gatekeeper to grocery stores and getting a mortgage and crossing provincial borders and seeing family members. And we're talking about massive controls potentially being imposed on our lives based on whether or not you're up to date in your medical treatments. 100%, 100%. Uh, Klaus, final word from you? It, it's quite enlightening to actually read the FDA approval document. It's an 11-page document. I have it here in front of me. Starting page four, it talks about their continuing uh, requirement to report on adverse events, of course. And then page five to 11 lists all the studies that are still being conducted. So I've, I've uh, heard people say now this is not experimental anymore, but it's definitely experimental. And until I think December tw 2027 is the last of these 13 studies listed, the end date for that uh, study. And one, uh, several of them look at the myocarditis um, issue in young recipients of the vaccine. So we will know in several years from now whether they're that risk is confirmed or not. Um, that, that seems problematic. Uh, Gosh, to, to say, say the least. least, to say yeah. the least, particularly now when they're trying to uh, incentivize or coerce the vaccine on uh, children uh, 11 years uh, of age and older. Um, listen, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the, the work you've done in putting this article together. I think it's important. I hope everyone reads it. And uh, let's see if, you know, this will be, uh, you know, yet another crack that finally bursts the dam. Klaus Rinner and uh, Angela Durante, thank you so much. Thanks, thank Richard. for having us. Thanks. All the best. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right, when we come back, we'll push back against global warming hysteria with Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. A couple of recent major volcanic eruptions, one in Alaska and one in the Spanish Canary Islands, got me to thinking about with all of the, the ash and smoke being spewed into the atmosphere, doesn't that undo all of our efforts to reduce CO2 emissions by shutting down various sectors of the economy? Uh, let's discuss as we push back against global warming hysteria with Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Very well. So we had this um, um, Alaskan uh, volcano. This is in the Semisopoktwa area of Alaska. And it says here in this article, Satellite imagery shows an ash cloud at an estimated altitude of 15,000 feet above sea level, extending approximately 60 miles to the southeast. Explosions have been observed throughout the day and increased sulfur dioxide gas emissions have been observed in satellite data. Uh, These observations represent an increase in eruptive activity and aviation color code and volcanic alert level are being increased to red warning. Okay, so when these volcanoes erupt are they emitting co2 are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for african americans do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over policing president biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard the proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for african americans the clock is ticking Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, uh, ultimately, essentially all CO2 in the atmosphere came out of volcanoes. Um, But that's over a very long period of time, you know, billions of years. Uh, The the largest source of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere are the oceans and decaying plant material and soils. Um, they emit about 97% of the, of the CO2 emissions from the Earth every year, but uh, they also absorb quite a bit. Um, growing plants absorb CO2. That's the basis of photosynthesis. So the, the whole the whole picture is pretty complicated. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any question that humans 
burning fossil fuels have added a lot of CO2 to the atmosphere. If you go back to the beginning of the Carboniferous era, there was a lot more CO2 in the atmosphere. There was a tremendous amount of life on Earth, very verdant jungles. These jungles absorbed the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and then the trees fell down and formed um, peat bogs, uh, eventually turned into coal deposits. So during that period of time, the amount of carbon dioxide greatly reduced in the atmosphere. And then when we started burning fossil fuels, a lot of fossil fuels, particularly after about the year 1950, CO2 emissions started increasing rapidly. Quite a bit, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere was increasing. So, um, but I, I don't think that arguing that volcanoes are causing CO2 is a very effective argument, but they do affect the climate quite a bit. In 1815, Mount Tambora erupted, put huge amounts of ash up in the atmosphere, which shut down the amount of sunlight reaching the Earth. And then 1816 was the, called the year without a summer. And many people starved. They had terrible famines in Europe because uh, there wasn't enough sunlight to grow crop and the weather was cold all winter. So the volcano, a large volcanic eruption definitely has the potential to cool down the earth a lot. We, we saw this with um, Mount Pinatubo in the 1990s and El Chichon in, in the 1980s. They, they both produced a lot of cooling. Um, but we, we haven't had any real large eruptions since since um, Mount Pinatubo in 1992, I believe, um, which, which cooled the planet a lot. Since then, we've had relatively small eruptions. Okay, so volcanoes are not contributing significantly uh, to to CO2 uh, when there's a major eruption. But it almost sounds like... Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay, it yeah. almost sounds though that they provide kind of a self-correction, that, that uh, they have a cooling effect. Um, how long lasts that cooling effect? Well, the, when Mount Pinatubo erupted, um, it, it cooled... Uh, there were temperatures on Earth were significantly cooler for about two years after that. So it, it takes a long... When you get a lot of dust up in the upper atmosphere, it takes a long time for it to settle out. Uh, Mount Tambora, you know, similar sort of thing in, in 1815. There's several years of, of cold weather after that eruption. But eventually the, the dust does settle out and then, then the weather patterns return to what they were prior to... Uh, to the eruption. All right. On your website, realclimatescience.com, uh, you, you, you look back uh, to September of 1895, and you found some interesting data regarding uh, uh, heat waves on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, it was, uh, th- there was an incredible heat wave, unprecedented heat wave, particularly in the eastern half of the United States, during um, mid to late September 1895. And the uh, Chicago Tribune reported on today's date, September 22nd, 1895, that temperatures in Vermont and Massachusetts were 105 degrees on September 21st. You know, weather like that, it, it doesn't get anywhere near that hot in those states in July anymore, much less in you know, in late September. So it's a pretty incredible heat wave. And there's lots of newspaper accounts of people dying from the heat in Chicago and all over 
uh, eastern two-thirds of the United States is terrible heat wave. Um, and then I found today when I was looking that the heat wave also extended over to um, the other side of the Atlantic. Um, Britain was having incredible heat. It was it, for late September during that same time. So whatever was going on, this heat wave it covered a large portion of the Earth, and it obviously wasn't due to carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide levels were quite low. So these kinds of things, you know, if we had actual climate scientists who are working as scientists, they would want to understand why. Why did we have this incredible, unprecedented heat wave at the end of September 1895? Um, but they, they're not interested in it. And what they do instead is they just erase it. They bury it. They change the data. Say they didn't know how to measure temperatures back then, all those people who died, it was just because they had bad thermometers <laughs> or something. So we have this terrible void in climate science where you have, rather than trying to understand historical climate, um, the government scientists choose to erase it. And that that's caused an extremely pathological state of science. All right, Tony, what's um, what are you working on in terms of your next YouTube and new tube video? Oh, you know, I, I haven't even thought about it. Um, actually, I got banned from YouTube yeah. um, a few days ago. Yeah, they, yeah, they I post I posted a, a segments of the FDA vaccine hearing um, a, a few days ago. Unedited. It was just it's like a three minute clip from an open FDA hearing. And they said it presented vaccine disinformation and banned me. So I appealed it, and then they reversed it, and they they decided not to ban me. So it, it, it's pretty scary dealing with YouTube because there's people there who want to get rid of me, and they're just looking for any excuse they can come up with. So I, I'm right on that. You know, I'm always walking on pins and needles with them, which is why I'm trying to push people over into other platforms like YouTube and Rumble and Odyssey. If I could get my subscribers over there, then I wouldn't have to deal with YouTube anymore. But unfortunately, people seem to like YouTube for some reason. And um, yeah, I've got like 110,000 subscribers now, and I haven't been able to get you know 90% of them to move to other platforms. So, All right. Well, if that's been, that, that, if, they, if they would help me out with that, I'd love to get rid of YouTube because they're horrible. All right. In the meantime, we'll um, urge our listeners to go realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com. Loads of great information. Uh, Tony, thank you as always. We'll talk again next week. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Good talking to you. All right. Hour two awaits when we come back. Will Witt from Turning Point USA and uh, Prager U will be here. And, uh, of course, German idiom of the day and news not in the news with Lou. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right. Two is off and running. 
Bill Witt, a very uh, talented, young, conservative influencer, public speaker, filmmaker, the host of Will Witt Live on PragerU, uh, will join us at the uh, bottom of the hour. He's got a brand new book, um, kind of uh, playing off the old um, Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. This is How to Win, uh, how to win Friends and Influence Enemies. <laughs> Basically, it's how to argue uh, with liberals using logic and humor. And uh, we'll also speak with a volunteer with Children's Health Defense Canada, uh, the lead volunteer on what they're calling their Hockey League Initiative. And uh, a lot of uh, a lot of um, hockey programs, minor hockey programs, like the GTLHA, for example, is uh, not allowing uh, youth to participate unless they're vaccinated. So... The uh, Children's Health Defense Canada is trying to um, gather interested parents together, A, to uh, to take possible legal action and B, uh, you know, possibly to form some what they're calling non-discriminatory leagues. So the vaccinated and unvaccinated can play uh, alike. Uh, Interesting little tweet here. Uh, from I just uh, found this on on Twitter, Connie, Connie Fournier uh, at at Free Dominion is her uh, Twitter handle at Free Dominion. She describes herself as a happily married conservative mom, Christian programmer, political junkie. I'm a Canadian, but not a weenie. <laughs> and she has a great idea here. Ontario restaurants, she writes, if you want to stand up with us against the vax pass but you were afraid of fines just close your dining rooms we will buy takeout if enough dining rooms are closed even the pro passers will get tired of this fast i think that's a great idea news not in the news news all right lou you had an interesting theory uh, in hour one about you know one of the one of the um I guess it benefits for the uh, provincial coffers of this uh, vax pass system. It's going to drive more people to the uh, cannabis dispensaries and, uh, you know, produce a little more revenue. Was that the idea? Is that your idea? Yeah. So my thinking, you know, in looking at the insanity. So I've taken logic out of the equation and just went, you know, when somebody gives me a stupid idea, you know what I say? Let's go stupider. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they want to keep a certain section of the population isolated and then they want to indoctrinate them and then they want to medicate them. Right. And, you know, given how much of an abysmal failure the Ontario cannabis store has been, you know what? You can still get your dope. That's what they used to call it when I was a kid. Dope right. from your guy. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. At a lower price. No, when you mentioned that, it twigged something in my memory. I have a friend who grew up in the uh, in, in Iran, and uh, he and his family, or some of them anyway, they got out uh, before the revolution and before the Ayatollah and the Mullahs took over. Mm-hmm. But his, his parents remained uh, back in Iran, and they told him, my friend Ali, uh, that during the, uh, you know, the dark days of the, uh, the embargoes, against Iran, be part of the nuclear deal, things there were massive shortages in a number of areas and people were just miserable. And if you can believe this in a, you know, in a, in a Muslim, they actually were making marijuana available to people Uh, for that. I think it's the exact same reason that you're alluding to, you know, get, allow people to smoke pot or eat edibles. Don't forget the edibles, the edibles. You're right. You're right. And all of a sudden, all of their their anger and their strife, it, you know, it kind of goes on the back burner and they forget about it for a while. And that's I think there's something to what you're saying. Well, in my day, the old saying was dope will get you through times of no money better than money will get you through times of no dope. Whoa. So I think they went back, looked and said, you know, there's some stuff we can use here in, you know, from the good old days. Let's get them you know, isolated and medicated and see how we make out. All right. Let's get to our German idiom of the day, and then we'll get back to some more news, not in the news. Jake. All right. Bring it up. German idiom of the day is mit pauken und trompen eden durchfallen. Mit pauken und Trump eden durchfallen. Mit pauken und Trump eden durchfallen. Okay, so you've done it three times on air. How many times did you practice it before coming on air? Do you count those? Like, you know, golfers will have a certain number of swings, you know, in practice. I hit a couple of buckets. Let's put it. <laughs> uh, the driving range uh, metaphor. I hit a couple of buckets. Sure. Oh, all right. So, what does it mean? Mit pauken und Trump eden durchfallen means to go down with drums and trumpets. That's the literal meaning. To go down with drums and trumpets. What do you think that means? Well, some kind of glorious end or something. Exactly. To fail gloriously, guns blazing. You know, it's too bad uh, none of the political parties in Canada can go down in glory. They just went down. In ignominy, ignominy, ignominy. Ignominy, there's a word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why don't you look that one up in German? <laughs> how many How many guttural sounds will you have to make to get to ignominy? Ignominy, yeah, whatever. Ignominy, I, yeah, I prefer mit pauken und Trump eden durchfallen. <laughs> That's a good one, I like it. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about, oh, I mentioned this, uh, this woman on Twitter at, uh, what is her handle? At Dominion, at Free Dominion, California. I think this is actually a good idea uh, for those restaurants 
that, uh, you know, they want to stay open, they want to be in business, but and they they don't want to comply necessarily with the Vax passport system, um, but they're afraid of the fines. I think she's onto something here. Uh, she says, Ontario restaurants, if you want to stand with us against the Vax Pass, but you're afraid of fines, just close your dining rooms. We will buy takeout. If enough dining rooms are closed, even the pro passers will get tired of this fast. I think there's something to that idea. What do you think? Well, uh, I think that so just so I understand the process, it's about going into the restaurant, right? There's no subset of that law that said, oh, no, you got to be vaxxed to pick it up at the curb. We're not doing that insanity, are we? No, you can pick it up at the curb. In fact, I think you can go in and get takeout and take it out. But you just without being vaxxed, checked. You can't sit down. Well, you know what? If you talk to most restaurateurs, they'll tell you operating a dining room is a pain in the butt. Okay, it's a lot of real estate. You got to have a lot of people running around. A lot of restaurateurs are saying, keep it. We're going to run an isolated kitchen, right? And we'll just send it to you, right? Forget about the real estate, the decor and all that, the service and yak, yak, yak. They're just going to set up an operating kitchen and send it to you via DoorDash or whoever you're using. Right. Right. So I think this is kind of this is a, a win win because I, I know there are restaurants who who feel horribly about having to enforce this Vax passport, particularly because they're going to be excluding many of the same people that supported them when they were being locked down. And they, you know, they fought for the restaurants and the bars and the other businesses to stay open. Those people now, the unvaxed, uh, are being punished by these restaurants and they're rewarding the very people who probably wanted them to stay locked down in some cases and or maybe many cases. I don't know. So I think this is a great idea. If you have a restaurant, you have a dining room and you don't you want to support or sorry, you don't want to support the Vax passport. Shut down your dining room and only take and, and only serve takeout. But Richard, the uh, the step you need to take is to throw the keys at the landlord and say you operate it, then open up a kitchen in an industrial area right. and carry on with the takeout. But like put the pressure on the government by shutting down the landlords who won't appreciate it at all. That's a great idea. You're always right? strategically, Lou. But, you know, it's really contingent on people doing what I used to advise my students. Never, ever, ever, ever sign a personal guarantee for a leash, uh, a lease or a business loan. You don't need two problems, a business problem. And then, honey, we're going to lose the house. Sorry. OK, never sign it. If that's a condition, walk away. Right. Interesting. All right. You mentioned these. Uh, I think they're called ghost kitchens, right? This is becoming a huge trend. Yeah, oh, it's not going away. In fact, I was just seeing some stats uh, for a fast food chain. And, uh, you know, they can't have people in their dining rooms. They're only feeding it through the window. Their sales are not where they want them to be. Right. Right. Be because they've got they've got, uh, you know, a lot of square footage with the dining room and it's not it's not enough. It's not producing. Right. Right. OK. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the uh, evening with Tucker Carlson last night. I just want to leave you this one little thing that I thought was interesting because you couldn't, uh, you couldn't get Rosie Barton. Oh, sorry. An evening with Rosie Barton. Yeah, she's terrible with the assigned task, isn't she? 
Indeed. Well, Tucker was, he got a hero's welcome. He joined us live via Zoom and he had one very interesting, well, he had many interesting points, but one that I just want to lay with you. And that was, he was asked by Dr. Charles McVitie and Ezra Levant, you know, why Canada finds itself in this position of, you know, being, we, we, we seem to be so compliant. What is that all about? And he actually attributes this to our geography and our climate. And he made this case um, that because of the cold climate and the, and the, you know, the long winters and it gets dark early, lack of light, it, it feeds into this, this psychology or behavior of kind of a, this collectivism, because we feel like we don't want to be separated from the group in times of peril. When it gets cold, you want to huddle together. And this, this kind of plays into this whole, uh, you know, don't step outside the group because uh, you know, you're, you're vulnerable. And I think there's something to that. Well, I'm more, most comfortable on my own because I can't depend on many. Back with you tomorrow. Happy capitalism. All right, there you go. Lou, when we come back, we'll speak with a uh, uh, the lead volunteer uh, with the Children's Health Defense Canada Hockey League Initiative. Your child is not vaxxed. You want them to play hockey? Listen to this. That's in three minutes. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Children's Health Defense Canada has launched something called a Hockey League Initiative, and uh, they're looking for parents that are interested in uh, such an initiative, particularly a uh, what they're calling a discrimination-free league based on vaccination status. Uh, Renata, I just, uh, we're going by a first name only here, is the lead volunteer on this initiative. Renata, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you very much, Richard. I'm doing well. So tell me about this Hockey League initiative. Uh, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here? Sure. So um, Ontario's proof of vaccination guidance under the Reopening Ontario Act, children under 18 years of age who are participating in sports are supposed to be exempt from that vaccination policy. However, in the last few weeks, many Ontario sports organizations recently announced that their own, their own mandates requiring their players, coaching staff uh, to be fully vaccinated in order to participate. So this decision potentially excludes tens of thousands of children in Ontario from participating in the sports they love, which is critical for their overall health. Um, and this is based solely on their families having made a personal medical decision. Children have already suffered enormously in the last 18 months due to the pandemic response. And um, sports is such an important outlet for them. So the primary goal of Children's Health Defense is to get these mandates withdrawn. Uh, they are, they're illegal, they're unconstitutional, and they will be challenged in court uh, if necessary. However, court does take time. So Children's Health Defense is looking to create opportunities for these children to keep playing. Currently, we are collecting information from families who have been or will be impacted by these mandates with the intention of setting up leagues where players' vaccination status is not a barrier for them. And I have to say, so far, the response from parents in just over a week has been overwhelming. We've had close to a 1,000 families reach out already. This includes players, coaches, trainers, and game officials and the number is growing daily and I should mention too it isn't just hockey we've had responses from all sports soccer lacrosse basketball baseball tennis figure skating swimming cheerleading and even dance uh, Renata is uh, with us she's the lead volunteer on this hockey league initiative 
with the Children's Health Defense Canada uh, organization. And so there is a um, give us a, a, a website or uh, someplace where people can go a portal if they're interested in signing on to this Hockey League initiative. Sure, of course. So for the first thing to do would be to email chdcsports at gmail.com. And I'll repeat that. It's chdcsports at gmail.com. Uh, and when you email, uh, we send back a Google form for you to fill out, which gives us information about what city you are, what sport, whether you're a player, official, coach, um, the age group, your ability and all of that. So we can start building communities um, separate from Children's Health Defense Canada, which you can also look on the website. There was a Facebook uh, formed by a GTHL parent called Youth Sports Freedom Fighters. And that um, Facebook group already has 6,000 members and we're working, we're collaborating. So any updates, uh, you can go there and, and look for them. This group is in the process of also creating a website so that we can have one place where, where parents can go to get updates, look for potential leagues. Um, I did see today that York Region is trying to start a league already. It's called the York Region Spartan. So it's, it is uh, a discrimination-free league. So that's worth looking into. I don't have the contact details for that, but I was made aware of it today. Um, I have spoken to some coaches in the greater Toronto area that will be looking into creating these leagues if these mandates are not dropped. Uh, also, there's Cheers Over Fears on Instagram, also working to, to do the same thing. So you would um, perhaps be getting getting behind these sort of these set separate initiatives uh, or perhaps even, you know, kind of merging all of these groups under one umbrella? I think that's what we will try to do. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people sort of uh, took action immediately. There was a lot of parents very upset about this. So uh, Children Health Defense jumped on it, as uh, as did the Youth Sports Freedom Fighters. And I think it's best that, that we all work together and have one landing pay, page. So Children's Health Defense is collecting the information, and then we will be sending updates to every as more information is known about the leagues, about where you can find the information, and also about legal action. We have so many parents interested in legal action, and if the mandates don't change, uh, that will have to be part of uh, what we do because we have to ensure that this doesn't happen again to our children. Right. And so just to be clear, the um, the province is not mandating youth sports, uh, for, in other words, below the age of 18 to be vaccinated in order as a condition of participating in minor league sports, for example. But some of these individual leagues have taken it upon themselves for some unknown reason that they're going to institute their own vaccine mandate, uh, the GTHL, as an example. Correct. That is correct. And um, so this uh, legal challenge, uh, are you going to be working with the, 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 uh, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms or have you made that determination yet? 
We haven't made a determination yet. We already have a number of lawyers that have reached out and are interested. I do know already uh, a lawyer has sent a letter to the Ontario Hockey Federation that happened yesterday demanding that the mandates be removed. And depending on the reaction of the Ontario Hockey Federation to that uh, letter, uh, then it'll, it, you know, will determine how we move forward and then uh, who will be using to defend these parents. All right. Renata, give us the uh, email again if people want to find out more about the Canada's health or sorry, Children's Health Defense Canada's uh, Hockey League initiative. Sure. The email is chdcsports at gmail.com. And once more, chdcsports at gmail.com. All right. When we come back, Will Witt from PragerU and Turning Point USA joins me. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. I have been looking forward to this all week. Will Witt is a young conservative influencer, speaker, filmmaker, the host of Will Witt Live on PragerU. He's got a brand new book. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Talking or Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. Will Witt, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. You're the second young conservative I know from California. I don't know if you know Drew Allen. He's been on the program a number of times. A young conservative in California, do you sometimes feel like you're a unicorn? I do, but I kind of like being that outsider. I like being able to go out and not have people really understand what I'm talking about and be able to educate them. You know, you kind of feel like uh, like you're you're at the the tip of the spear when you're a young conservative in California. Right. I I have two twin boys, soon to be 15, and they are absolutely in love with what you do and who you are. That's so important to have young conservative voices because I feel like we we need to find a way to make conservatism cool. We need to make it the counterculture. If we have any hope of turning this around, we have to appeal, obviously, to young people. How do we do that? Well, I think there's a big problem with not having enough role models in the West right now. And so also, as you see, divorce rates increasing, marriage rates declining, young kids aren't looking up to their parents anymore as their main role models, which is a tragedy. And so they look into the liberal mainstream media, they look into Hollywood, they look into music, and these people are all bought out leftists. And so those are the people who are the role models for young people in this country. So no wonder they're going to be on the left. And so it's very important that as either a conservative parent or a conservative pastor, conservative uh, media, whoever it might be, that you are speaking out and trying to act like a leader for young people because that's the next generation that's going to be handling this country. I remember my late father had this, everybody had this book in the house, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But your book is How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. Who are the enemies? I would say the enemies are the left. I think that the left has been the most destructive force that in, in really mankind that we've ever seen. I mean, the left aims to claim that everything is for the greater good, you know, the quote-unquote greater good, but there's been more damage done in the greater good than any other ideology in history. I mean, look at how many people communism killed in the last hundred years. I mean, a hundred million people through communism. And so I really think that the enemy is the left, but that doesn't mean that everyone who's on the left 
is an enemy. That just means that the ideology is the enemy and that we have to try and do our best to take leftism out of America and the West. Dennis Prager is always quick to point out, we're not talking about liberals here. I mean, he, right. he considers himself to be a classical liberal. I, I'm guessing you, you would, would say the same thing. So what happened to the classical liberal? Do we have any left aside from Dennis and yourself and maybe a few others? I think we do have some left, but I think that leftism has just gotten so extreme because they've seen strides of conservatism really being... I would say captivating to a lot of people. When the world gets so crazy, then it means that people want to go back to tradition, people want to conserve things that they know are to be good, and so a lot of people, I think, got stronger with their conservative convictions, and so that made the left get even crazier and even more radical and want to seize even more power. That's why we've seen during this pandemic over the last year and a half, the left has just gotten absolutely insane, power-hungry, because they are fighting against you know the conservatives who really just want the world to get back to normal and people to understand that, you know, life is dangerous sometimes and the left just wants to destroy all of that and have total dominion over everything we do. Leonidas Johnson is another frequent guest on the program and on his Twitter handle he says he just wants to be left alone and I feel that kind of sums up conservatives these days. We want to be left alone but the left won't leave us alone which has led some people to conclude we can't coexist anymore. We need a divorce. How do you feel? Yeah, I kind of see that point for sure, because the left definitely doesn't want to leave us alone. And I have a lot of sympathy for people who say, hey, I'm going to leave California, especially after this recall, and move to somewhere conservative, and, you know, life will be all... life will be wonderful there. But the thing is, is that if you leave a place that has been infected by the left, you can't be apathetic when you move to a more conservative place, because then the left will come in there and try and destroy it and not leave you alone. So if you move somewhere else, or get involved with more conservative people. You need to stay strong in your convictions, even if you are somewhere where the left really isn't at that point. All right, Will, we'll take a quick time out, come back, and we'll uh, we'll dive into the book, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. Back with more of the program in three minutes. Don't go away. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Will Witt stays with us, political commentator, media personality, host of Will Witt Live on PragerU. He's a college dropout, uh, moved to L.A. to pursue a career in media and politics, and in the span of a year and a half, Will Witt has amassed over 500 million views on his online videos. He's one of the most viewed conservative media personalities in America. And his first mini-documentary, Fleeing California, has been viewed over 7 million times. He's made frequent appearances on Fox News, The Daily Wire, and Blaze Media. And his brand new book is How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. The first chapter, racism. Obviously, that's defined the left movement these days. Everything is perceived through the lens of racism. My boys are confronted with this every day in history class, in civics class, English, even in math. Somehow, the subject of racism uh, comes up. You suggest that we need to take a different tact when arguing or, or trying to influence people on the left and bring them around to a conservative viewpoint. It's not just hitting them with facts over the head. 
So walk us through your strategy. How do we win people over on the subject of racism and convince them North America is not this bastion of hate and intolerance? Yeah, I mean, the the West is really bereft of any of these kind of racist things that the left will tell you about. But I think what's really important to remember is Ayn Rand and her quote, the smallest minority is the individual. And so I think that when you're talking to people, they'll be talking about white guilt or, you know, all black people are oppressed or all white people are oppressors, whatever it might be. And the first thing that I want to tell people to do is try and convince this person that they are an individual. You know, talk to them about their race and their gender and all that, and then talk to them maybe about their interests, talk to them about their political beliefs, talk to them about anything that makes them unique, and then get to the point where you can tell that person and say, hey, you are a unique individual. This is how you are. Do you feel like a unique individual? They'll say, yeah. And then you say, okay, so if you feel this way as a unique individual, then don't you think it's fair to look at other people the same way and not group people together by their race and say, hey, this whole group of people acts this way or this other one acts this way and and make them realize that the things that the left pushes about this collective mindset this of intersectionality is all wrong because everyone as an individual has different ways of thinking. Jordan Peterson has has made the point that if you take their argument of intersectionality to its logical conclusion, you do end up with the ultimate minority, which is, in fact, the individual. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. The argument, though, that white people have nothing to say on this topic and should just sit down and be quiet. How do you counter that argument? Well, it's the same thing that that. Uh, people on the left like to use about abortion and they'll say oh you don't have a uterus you can't talk about abortion and it's like you understand that the people who decided Roe v. Wade were all men so you're fine with people deciding things if they agree with you even if they're not on your even if they don't have the right skin color or gender but if if they don't agree with you oh then it's no uterus no opinion oh if you're white you can't talk about it I think that anyone can look at the facts of and statistics and know what is going on in this country and be able to clearly say that the the racism that the left preaches is not happening and i don't think that your skin color or your gender or anything like that matters when just looking at the truth and the information this is again why it's very important to ask questions to people instead of telling them because then it doesn't come across like oh i'm a white guy trying to tell this other person about racism it's like well let me ask you what you believe about it so that i can potentially change your mind. I think some of the most powerful data points regarding racism have to do with polling numbers and how attitudes towards things like racially mixed marriages have changed over the last 40, 50 years, or uh, the idea of how do you feel about living next door to someone from a different race? And if you look at those statistics, it's quite, quite poignant and powerful. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, I included a lot of those statistics in my book about, you know, the amount of people uh, who are black women who used in the 1960s who used to be housekeepers, and that was like their only source of income, and now those numbers are much different, and people saying that they would live next to a black person or had a black friend, like, those numbers are drastically different than they were 50 years ago, because America is uh, uh, not the racist place that the left wants to paint it as, but they paint it as this racist place to keep people controlled, to keep them in their collective mindset. They know that if they make people fearful, they make people feel like they are oppressed and that they have some sort of enemy, then they can control them and make them do what they want them to do. And so that's why it's very important to try your best to be free from these types of group mentality, the the herd thinking, as Nietzsche would talk about, and try again to look at yourself as an individual, look at the facts and say, hey, I am not this oppressed person and the world around me is not this oppressive place. 
Will, we'll take another time out, come back and discuss further. Will Witt, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. Back with more in three minutes. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Will Witt stays with us for a few minutes. You know him from PragerU and uh, his appearances on Fox News and The Daily Wire, uh, his involvement in Turning Point USA. Last night, my wife and I attended an event just east of Toronto called Protecting Civil Liberties, and it was hosted by the Canada Christian College. The featured guest was none other than Fox News' Tucker Carlson, who appeared live via Zoom. And the timing of the event was very significant because at midnight last night, Ontarians are now living under a vaccine passport mandate. The unvaccinated will be barred from entering restaurants and bars and large indoor gatherings such as the one we attended last night. And there's a chapter in in your book about uh, coronavirus. And how do you approach this subject when you're dealing with people who actually believe that the rights of the vaccinated, the, the rights of people who want to live lives free of risk of catching a disease, trump the rights of those who don't want forced medical intervention? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I wrote that chapter about coronavirus a little bit before the vaccine stuff really started taking off. So there's not really too much of that within the book, unfortunately. But I can tell you now that I think you need to talk to them about values and, and not so much about, uh, I guess, maybe the direct facts on all the vaccine stuff, because it's just going to bewilder people at first. You can get into that eventually. But I think it's about a life of safety and and comfortability versus a life of risk-taking and knowing that the world is not safe out there. And I think if you can convince people on the fact that obviously the world is not going to be this safe place where you can just sit at home and watch Netflix all day and order your food and all of that, and that you have to leave your house sometimes and, and put yourself at risk, then I think you can convince them of a lot. So I think those types of questions are going to be the most successful because the greatest people throughout history have been people who have had situations that are incredibly hard, struggles, setbacks, but they persevered through them to do something amazing. Do people want to be this mediocre, uh, safe comfortable person or do they want to be a hero who's passionate creative and and wonderful how do you argue with with someone who who says that it is your civic duty to be doubly vaccinated it's your civic duty to protect someone else who maybe can't get vaccinated how do you approach that well, i think that it comes down to it's not your civic duty i mean it's it's pretty obvious that it's not your civic duty you don't have to do that you know people even for years have been getting religious exemptions for all sorts of vaccines and things and you know i'm not someone who's an anti-vaxxer by any means but i am for medical freedom and so you can just tell it's not even so much about the vax i i've been doing these rallies in los angeles speaking about you know anti-vaccine mandates and people come there who are vaccinated and also agree with us and they want to fight back so i think it has more to do with a freedom aspect of it and saying well you know how how long do you have to go with this what if the government says that every other day you have to take a a pfizer pill and you have to pay for it and you're doing your civic duty because we are paying for we're paying for it through our taxes and it's like do you think that that's fair you can you can start leading up to them with you know more wild situations of what could happen and make them realize like oh 
wow, that could really happen. Maybe they will want to have a jab once every two weeks as a booster shot. And do I really think that's a good idea? Do I really have to do this? And so kind of show them that when you give government even a a 10% inkling of power, they will take that a mile. And so it's better off to not give the government any sort of power over you to be able to do that. So up up here in Canada, uh, we don't have a Second Amendment. Uh, right. it's, it's very difficult to even mention the word gun in, in, uh, in certain company uh, because we just don't have that culture, unfortunately. We gave that up, that right, a long time ago. Um, how would you, if you were up here in Canada, and I want to ask you a little bit about maybe uh, starting a Turning Point USA chapter up here because we desperately need it. But if you were speaking to a Canadian audience, Uh, What would you say to them about the importance of having a Second Amendment? Well, the Second Amendment protects all of the other amendments here in America. By having that, it ensures that your other amendments won't be taken away by a tyrannical government. And the reason that the founders wrote the Second Amendment and put it in there is for a tyrannical government. You know, the, the, the benefits of having it for home safety and for protecting yourself is, of course, uh, wonderful. But the real reason was to protect against tyrannical governments. And there's this, this I guess you could say, stigma with, with people on the left. And they say, you know, well, you know, the government's now never going to take over. The government's never going to be that tyrannical. You'll never have to do this. We have social media and cars that drive themselves. We're way too civilized for that. And it's like, look at the last hundred years and look at all of the dictatorships and totalitarian governments that have disarmed their citizens in the 1930s. I mean, Germany disarmed the Jews and then look what happened to them. In Turkey, they disarmed people. In China, Russia, uh, Cambodia, all of these places, they disarmed their citizens. And you saw exactly what happened with millions of people dying because they couldn't defend themselves from the tyranny. And so I don't care how civilized the left thinks we are, or how far-fetched it is to think that our government could ever be overreaching, but you've seen time and time again examples of people clutching to power and, and having no problem taking people out to keep themselves there. Right. Those examples you just gave are, 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 are very, you know, they're great examples. They're extreme examples of what happened but to a lesser extent I mean I think the most recent example would have to be Australia look what happened Mm -hmm. to Australia now you know they're they're not committing uh, you know mass murder or genocide in Australia but uh, that country seems lost right now Oh, it definitely is. And I think that, you know, a a lot of it is Australians' fault. You know, the people who live there, they voted for these kind of things. They put these people into power not knowing that that this is what was going to happen. They put very, very left-wing politicians into power. And this is what you get when you put these people into power. When they talk about racism, they talk about virtue signaling and, and wokeism and all these things. And it feels good to put these people into power. But in reality, these people are power hungry and evil and want to take away your freedom. And so I hope that Australia learns from this lesson. And we're seeing great videos out of Australia with people protesting and getting upset by this. And we're seeing that all over Europe, actually, in, in Italy and France and Germany, too. And I hope that these protests and people fighting against it will be enough. But I can't be for certain. Will Witt, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. Final question, Will, and I'll let you go. And that is uh, Prager Force. Any thoughts, or, or and even uh, Turning Point USA? Um, we, we desperately need something like that up here in Canada. Any thoughts to opening a, a Prager Force chapter up here, or even, I don't know, an, a, a Turning Point Canada? 
Yeah, listen, I think they have a Turning Point Canada. Actually, I don't work too closely with Turning Point anymore to say, but I'm fairly certain they have a Turning Point Canada. And then in terms of Prager Force, Prager Force is all digital. So we do have a lot of actually Canadian students and young professionals who are w- within Prager Force in Canada right now. So there's, there's a small glimpse of hope for Canada, I see. Will Witt, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. How do we get a copy, Will? You can go on Amazon or anywhere else books are sold. We actually just hit a uh, number one new release on Amazon, which was wonderful. And so you can get it there, Audible, uh, Books A Million, anywhere books are sold. Terrific. Thank you so much for this. Hey, thank you. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again. The irascible but lovable one will be here. We'll push back against radical gender ideology. News not in the news, the German word of the day, and much, much more. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbound, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.